Well, good morning, church. Try that again. I said, good morning, church. Amazing, amazing. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers uh, in the room. Um, I will tell you, I was sitting over uh, in the corner right before the service started, and for the first time, the emotions of today hit me. Um, I imagine in a room this size, there's a lot of different emotions um, that you may be feeling today. Um, I know for me, I'm feeling a slew of different ones. Um, One, growing up in a house without a dad and um, scrolling through social media and watching everyone post pictures of their father and moments that they had with their with, uh, with their dad growing up, and this deep sorrow hits me, you know. And then I, I see a notification from my wife who has now posted a picture uh, of me with my kids and this deep joy that I feel of, of getting to be a dad. And so I have all of these different emotions that are kind of running through my mind and through my heart this morning. Um, but one of the emotions that stand out really strongly to me is that I've noticed that in every season of my life, God has been really faithful to bring men into my story Um, to be a fatherly role to me, um, to fill the gap that my dad has left in my own life. Um, The scripture says that God is a father to the fatherless, and oftentimes he shows up by providing other people um, to fill the gaps that that are in our life. And so before we get started with today's message, um, I just wanted to take a moment to honor one of those men who have, in this season, have served in in kind of a fatherly role to me, and that's y'all's pastor. Um, So Paul, I'm so grateful for you. Uh, I love you, and I thank you for... Uh, your investment in me and in our family in these days. Um, I'm so super, super grateful for you. Uh, I'd love to pray for us, and then we will jump into today's message. Father, we love you, and we're grateful that you really are a father to the fatherless. And so for those who are in the room who maybe this is the first year that they've experienced Father's Day without their dad, they lost their dad in, in the last year, I pray that you would give them your peace and your comfort. Um, for those who maybe grew up like I did without their dad in the home and, and there's this deep sense of missing identity and there's a sadness and a sorrow that they feel on this day, I pray that you would be present with them today, that you would be enough. For the fathers in the room who feel tired and, and overwhelmed, I pray that, that you would strengthen them today. Um, pray, I pray that they would feel encouraged today. I pray that they would that they would get a picture of your love for them today. But for all of us, God, I thank you um, that you are a good, good father. And I pray that you would remind us of that as we lean into your word and we ask you to lead us and guide us and direct us as we move forward. We love you and we thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Um, So I've been in counseling probably for seven years of my life up until this point. Uh, If you have not thought about counseling. I know there can be a stigma on that. You should go. Um, I think every human uh, needs to go to counseling at some point in your life. And if you think you don't need to go to counseling, that's evidence that you need to go to counseling. Um, And so I've been in counseling for about seven years of my life, and I I love my counselor. Her name's Joy. She's amazing. And so my wife and I have seen her together. We see her separately. Um, And she's journeyed over some pretty significant moments in my life with me. And I reached out to her a few weeks ago, and I just said, hey, Joy, um, I need a couple minutes to talk. I'm feeling really overwhelmed. And so we get on the phone, and uh, it's over Zoom, and so we're kind of processing through life together. And she goes, she goes, Gerald, I want you to take a moment and just, like, walk me through one of your days. Like, explain to me what a day looks like for you. I said, okay, I could do that. So, so I wake up, usually between 6 and 6.30. Um, I usually wake up to the most beautiful sound in the world. It's the sound of my identical twin girls screaming at the top of their lungs because they're hungry. And so I go into their bedroom and I have to pick which one of my children I'm going to love first, which never goes well. And so I grab one of them and 
without a shadow of a doubt, I pick her up and she smells terrible. And so I put her on the changing table and now she's screaming at the top of the lungs because she doesn't want to be changed. My other child is screaming because not only is she hungry, but she feels unloved. And so I changed this child as she screams. I set her down on the floor. She goes out into a full meltdown, head back, arch back, screaming as loud as she possibly can. I then go grab the other child, put her on the table. Now she's mad that she needs to be changed. I try to carry them both down the stairs while they do that thing, parents, you know what I'm talking about, where they just go completely limp and you're like, like, I can't hold you like this, you know? And I'm trying to carry two limp babies down the stairs as they are screaming at the top of their lungs. I get downstairs, I have their breakfast ready for them, and so I put them in their chairs, and usually that gives me about 30 seconds of silence before one of them realizes that that's not what they want for breakfast. And at 15 months, I don't know how you have an opinion about what you want for breakfast, but they do. And so one of them screams and throws a tantrum during breakfast, but eventually we get through that and then I get them out of their chairs and somehow in the 30 minutes that we've gone from upstairs to downstairs to eat breakfast, someone has pooped again. And so I pick them up and I take them over to the changing table in the living room and she proceeds to scream. The other one sits in the chair and she's screaming because she hasn't been picked up yet. I get them both finally changed and clean and we sit down in the living room and we play together and the screaming and the noise stops until we get to that toy, you know? And I wish there was like a specific toy because then I would just burn it in the pit of hell. But it's not a specific toy. It's a different toy every single day that there's one that we get to and they both want it at the same time and then the screaming ensues again. And at this point, we are two and a half hours in and there's probably been about 30 minutes where there has not been screaming that's occurring in my house. My wife walks down the stairs at about nine o'clock. She comes and takes the girls and immediately they stop screaming, of course. And I look at her and she can tell at this point, I have heard so much screaming, I just want to scream now. <laughs> I go upstairs, I get in the shower, I get dressed for my day. My days usually are full of meetings. As many of you know, um, your church has supported us as we're in the season of church planning. And so all of my days are filled with either meeting potential launch team members, people who are gonna join us in planning the church, meeting people who are already on our launch team and walking through their life and their marriage and their family with them, or meeting with potential investors all throughout the day. And so I leave the house around 9.30, I get out and I have all these meetings and the whole day I'm just stressed about the church. Are we gonna be able to raise enough money are people actually gonna come? Are we actually gonna impact people's lives? Like, is all of this actually going to be worth it? And the stress level is just so high. And in between meetings, I'm thinking about, is my wife surviving? She's pregnant with our third. Right. Yeah, I know, 22 days, y'all. <laughs> I'm thinking about how she's doing. I'm thinking about our girls and what their character is going to be. I'm thinking about if they're going to love Jesus or not. I'm thinking about if I've been a good dad. I'm thinking about if I'm showing up enough, if I'm present enough, if I'm gone too much. Then on top of that, I have to think about the sermon that I need to write for the next thing. I'm thinking about providing, being able to pay the bills and keep lights on and a roof over our head. And that's usually the eight hours from nine until about five o'clock that I get home. And then when I get home, it's dinner time. And it, you know, you know what dinner's like. They're screaming again. And we scream our way through dinner, and we get them out of dinner, and it's time for a bath, and we scream our way through bath, and then it's time to go to bed, and they scream until they fall asleep. At 7.30, we clean up our house. 
About 9.30, we're in bed. We start over again the next day. And I'm explaining all of this to my counselor. And this is what she says back to me. She goes, Gerald, that's a lot. You need help. And I thought, I am really glad I pay you $150 an hour to tell me that. It's really hard. And you need help. I remember getting off the conversation with her and just taking a moment to debrief, and these words just popped into my head. And this is not a profound thought, but it's just true. So being a dad is weighty. Being a dad is a weighty thing. It's a heavy thing. It's a significant responsibility to be the leader of your home, to do what so many families just did this morning, to choose to dedicate your kids to raising them up in the way of the Lord. Like, it is a weighty responsibility. And when I think about my days and I think about the moments that I have with my kids and I think about the life and the pressure that feels like it's on me, a lot of times it feels like I wake up in the morning and brick by brick, I'm just filling up my bag of life with this heavy, heavy, heavy Wait, will I be able to provide? Will I be a good enough dad? Will I end up like my dad was to me? Some of you have felt that. Will I be a good enough husband? Am I doing this right? Being a dad feels a lot like carrying around a heavy, heavy wait, I don't work out enough for this illustration, to be honest. (laughs) And this is what being a father feels like most of the time. You know, every other day except for Father's Day, it's what it can feel like. Being a dad is a weighty experience. Now, here's what I know. There are moms in the room right now, and you're going, okay. (laughs) You think being a dad is weighty? What do you think they do during the eight hours that you're gone? She said preach. (laughs) Right? The reality is it's not just being a dad that's weighty. It's being a parent that's weighty. It's being a husband that's weighty. It's being a wife that's weighty. It's being a high school student that's weighty. Like, life is just weighty. It's not just being a dad. It's not just being a parent. It's being a human. Being a human is a weighty experience. And the reality is if I could sit down with every single person in this room, you would be able to describe to me the bag that you're carrying, the weight that you're walking through life with. Because the reality is is that we're all walking through life carrying a heavy weight. I remember this movie, Wonder, and there was this line in the movie, I can't remember who he quoted, but he said, be kind at the end of the movie because everyone is facing a difficult battle. Every person you interact with is carrying a weight. We're all walking through life feeling like the weight of the world is on our shoulders. The responsibility is too much. The pressure is too immense. And the weight is leaving us tired, The weight is leaving us angry. For some of you, you've gotten so easily triggered, and the reason why is because you're carrying a weight that you don't know what to do with. For many of you, it's led to depression, to stress, to anxiety, 
to discontentment, wondering like, is this what the rest of my life is gonna be? I'm just going to walk through the next 10 years, 20 years, 30 years with this weight on my shoulders. Because of that, statistics say that about 40 million adults, 40 million adults in the United States are dealing with some level of anxiety. That's 18% of our population, one in five people. The weight is destroying us. It's killing us. And what happens over time is that the things that are meant to bring joy, well, they suddenly feel like a burden, don't they? That over time, the things that are meant to be a joy, the things that are supposed to bring you the most life, the things that are supposed to be a great privilege all of a sudden begin to feel like a great burden and you're not sure if you can do it anymore. And some of you hear this and you go, Gerald, I'm not sure that that's where I am. Well, I can tell you if you're on the way there. You wanna know how I can know if you're on the way there? If we talk for five minutes and I hear this phrase, I know you are on the way to losing your joy. And it's these three words right here. I have to. I have to. You remember the days where you got to? Oh man, I get to go on this work trip, it's gonna be so amazing. I get to fly across the country for a few days. Oh man, I can't wait till I get home. I get to make dinner for my wife tonight. We're gonna watch a movie, hang out. Oh, I get to, I get to go outside in the backyard and throw a ball with my boy. I get to sit here and let my girl paint my nails drink tea together. But over time, the weight takes a get to and turns it into a have to. And I have to go on another trip. I am so tired of having to leave my house. I have to make dinner again. Can we just order takeout? I have, son, I'm so tired. Like, can we just go out another time? I have to sit here and let you paint my nails again. Do you know how long it takes me to get this nail polish off? And over time, I get to turns into I have to. And I have to is a surefire sign that you are losing your joy and the burden is getting too heavy. And so the question for us this morning is simply this. What do we do with this? What do we do with the weight that we're carrying around? Dads, what do we do with this? Moms, what do we do with this? Friends, what do we do with the weight that we're carrying? Because if the solution to this weight is just to suck it up and deal with it, I'm telling you the result will be a tired, worn out, and empty soul. But that's not what God wants for you. To find the solution, we're gonna turn to the book of Matthew. Um, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We'll be in verses 25 through 30. A little context in Matthew chapter, chapter 10, Jesus has sent out his 12 disciples. Uh, it's like a practice run for what they're going to have to do when he resurrects from the grave. Jesus in chapter 11 is met by the disciples of John the Baptist. So if you remember, John the Baptist came before Jesus he was calling people to repent, but he would always say there's one greater who is coming, one who I'm not even worthy of tying his sandals. And eventually this one will come and he will baptize you not by water, he will baptize you by the spirit like the Messiah is on the way. 
There's this beautiful moment where John sees Jesus and he goes, there he is. That's the guy that I was talking about. But as we get to chapter 11 in, in Matthew, what we find is that John the Baptist has now been arrested and he's begin, beginning to have doubt. Because he's seen the miracles and he's heard of the rumors of Jesus. But the Messiah was supposed to come and overtake everything. The Messiah was supposed to come and get revenge. The Messiah was supposed to come and make things even and build a kingdom on earth. And here, John the Baptist is now in prison and he's going, wait, 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 wait. I thought you were the savior. I thought you were the Messiah. I thought you were supposed to rescue and redeem. So why is it that I'm in this situation? And so John sends his disciples to Jesus to ask if he's really the one. And I love the way Jesus responds. He quotes the prophet Isaiah and he goes, are not the blind seeing? Continues on. Hey guys, come on, come on, come on. Do you not see the miracles happening, John? This could be another sermon for another time, but just note that just because your circumstances aren't going the way that you want them to go does not mean that God is not actively moving. Just because things aren't going your way does not mean that God's not still on his throne. Just because there's a pandemic does not mean that God has lost sight of his world and his domain. God is still in charge. He's still on the throne. He's still working and actively moving in the world around us. We just have to have eyes to see it, to get our eyes off of our own circumstance and see how God is moving in the world around us. And so Jesus sends the disciples back to bring this message to John. But at this point, a crowd has now gathered. And Jesus turns his attention to the crowd. And he begins to speak to them. In Matthew chapter 11, he starts with this prayer, and then he makes this statement. Matthew 11, verse 25 through 30, these are the words of Jesus. At that time, Jesus said in a prayer, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you are pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by the Father, no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I remember reading through these verses and I began to get really frustrated as I read them because I read the first section and it was this prayer that Jesus prayed and it was so confusing to me, like, like you've hidden these things from the wise, you've hidden these things from the learned, but you've revealed them to little children. And then a couple of verses later, you start talking about coming to me and giving me rest. And I'm just so confused, like this seems so disconnected. It seems like you're, you're, you're not even really making sense, Jesus. Like one minute you're praying this prayer, the next minute you're saying, come to me. Like what does this have to do with each other? Kept digging in and studying and ran into a commentary by Dr. Tony Evans. And when I read these words, it made the whole thing make, make sense. These are his words. Dr. Tony Evans says this. That statement in reference to his prayer isn't meant to disparage education. So he's not saying you shouldn't be wise or learned. He's saying this. He's referencing to those who think they can figure out life without God. 
The answers to life's questions are not discovered in graduate school, where you can obtain information without spiritual illumination. That's why Jesus said, in effect, thank you, Father, that you keep secrets from people, watch this, who think they're smart enough to figure out life independent of you. God is happy to hide answers from those who do not think they need him. The answer to life's burdens isn't found via human wisdom, but through accepting the divine viewpoint by seeing the way that God sees. We must become like infants who trust their daddy. And the only way to know that we have full access to our father who hides things from the self-sufficient people is through knowing and trusting in the son, Jesus Christ. So the prayer isn't disconnected. No, what Jesus is saying is, hey, if you want to deal with the weight and the burden of your life, it starts by assuming the right posture. It starts by getting yourself in the right posture. And he goes, the appropriate posture is like that of a child. See, the older we get, the more independent we become. For the men in the room, the older we get, the more stubborn we become, the more prideful we become, the more we believe that we can carry this weight on our own, that we can figure this life thing out on our own, the more we believe that we can provide on our own, that we can put the roof over our head on our own, that we don't need anyone else. We just gotta pick ourselves up by the bootstraps and do the hard work and not be lazy, and then we can make it. And Jesus is going, if you assume that posture, you'll never figure out what it means to be content. You'll never know what it really means to be loved. You'll never understand what it means for God to be a provider. You'll never understand what it means to be a son and for him to be your father. He goes, no, 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 the appropriate posture is like that of a child who knows they need their daddy, who knows they can't do it on their own. My daughter's been doing this, this really cute thing um, in the mornings for about the 20 minutes, you know, where they're not screaming and they're actually like playing and stuff before they get to the toy. Zoe and Wesley, they're, they're really active now. They're, they're walking around. They're honestly running around in a lot of cases. And Zoe, every morning she does this thing. I'll, I'll sit on the couch and I'll kind of block off the, the end of the couch so they have a space to run, but it's contained. And I'll sit on the couch and I'll put this gray, like little soft blanket over me. And, and usually I'm listening to my Bible I'm just kind of leaning in and they're running around and, you know, they're playing with stuff. And, and after a couple of minutes, Zoe will, she'll kind of slow down and she'll walk over to me. And she's just tall enough that if she bends her head over, she can get it right in my lap, you know. And so she'll just lay her head in my lap for a second. She'll pop back up. She goes running off again. She'll play, she'll play, she'll play, she'll play, and then she comes back lay her head, get up, run again. I remember sitting on the couch one morning. I felt like the Holy Spirit impressed upon me. He goes, Gerald, how is it that your daughter understands that she can find rest in her father, but you just keep running around and refuse to find rest in me? She gets it. I can only run around, but for so long. I can only do, but so much. I can only carry the weight but so long, and I have to have a rhythm to rest in the Father, 
to be with my dad so that he can give me what I need so I can keep running again. If you want to find rest for your soul, it starts by, the, by assuming the right posture. Second thing Jesus says is this. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You notice the pronouns there? Come to me, and I will give you what you need. Second thing that Jesus says is this, is you have to go to the right place. It's not just assuming the right posture. If you, if you want to deal with the burdens and the weights of this life, you have to go to the right place. Can we just be honest in the room? When life gets heavy, we often turn to all the wrong places, don't we? Another person, your spouse, hear me married people in the room. For some of you, the reason you have such a significant issue in your marriage right now is because you are transferring the weight of your life onto your spouse every time you walk in the door. And they were not built to carry the weight. So we'll run to people. We'll run to a substance, to a bottle. We'll run to Netflix. We'll run to the next sporting event. You're like, I don't even like golf, but it's something, I'll watch it. And we run to all the wrong places, except for the one place that can actually give us the rest and the peace that we're looking for. Friends, hear me. Temporary things will never lead to lasting rest. Temporary things will never lead to lasting rest. You will always have to keep going back to it, hoping that it will eventually satisfy you and what you will find over the course of your life that it never can and it never will. Anyone remember the story of the woman at the well, John chapter 4? This awkward interaction between Jesus and this woman where Jesus goes through Samaria, which was uncommon for a Jewish man to do that would avoid Samaria. But the scripture says he had to go to Samaria. Why? Because he had an appointment to meet a person. This woman, at the hottest part of the day, would go to the well to get water. The reason she would do so was because she was ashamed and didn't want to be seen by the rest of her community. We would later learn why as we read through the stories that she's had five husbands and the man that she's now with is not even her husband. And Jesus and her get into this conversation and about halfway through the conversation, Jesus calls her out on her stuff. So go get your husband. She goes, I don't have one. He goes, yeah, I know, because you had five, and the dude you're with now isn't your husband. And what Jesus is communicating to this woman in this moment, I don't want you to miss it, is she has been running to wells her whole life. And the wells that she was running to was relationship after relationship after relationship after relationship. And for some reason, she could not figure out that if after the first one didn't work, the second one didn't work, the third one didn't work, the fourth one didn't work, the fifth one didn't work, and now she's on the sixth, that none of those places can actually satisfy her. And the reality for us is that we keep running to well after well after well after well after well, but none of the wells of this world will satisfy the need of our soul. That's why Jesus says to this woman, if you will come to me, I will give you a living water that will burst up inside of you leading to eternal life. And if you remember the end of the story, the beauty is the woman, woman leaves her conversation with Jesus and she leaves her bucket behind she came to get water, but she left satisfied. She goes back into her community and she tells her city about this Messiah who's come. 
Friends, that's what's on the table for us. If we will go to the right place, if we will choose Jesus, if we will dig into his word, if we'll prioritize our time with him, you will find that when you walk away from your time with God, you leave satisfied, not needing the world to give you the things that you can only find in Jesus. Eight guys at my church and I have been doing this, this crazy thing. I told some of my pastor friends about it and they were like, you're an idiot, that's not gonna work. And I said, okay, watch. There's a Bible app on version. it's called the 30 Day Shred. So I texted these guys and I said, hey, here's what I wanna do for the next 30 days. We're going to listen to the entire Bible in 30 days. Not only that, we're gonna drink a gallon of water every day, and we're going to walk or run for an hour every day. We are now 20 days in. The majority of the guys are still on track, a couple of days behind, but everyone's still in it. And my wife sat down with the spouse of one of the guys who's doing it, and she said, you know what's crazy? My husband and I have been married for 10 years, He's had a Bible by his nightstand all 10 of those years. I've never seen him open it. And now he's going to read through the entire Bible in 30 days. And he's different already because of it. Why? Because the scripture says God's word doesn't return void. He sows seeds in our heart. He offers us life and joy and peace and freedom. It's like a, a well of living water bursting inside of us, satisfying our needs so we don't seek it from the world. Assume the right posture. Go to the right place. And then lastly, Jesus says this. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. You know, when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, he's not talking about like scrambled eggs, you know. He's talking about the yoke of an oxen. I was doing a little bit of research about the way that this would work. It was kind of this wooden structure that would go around the neck of two oxen. It would tie them together. And oftentimes a farmer, as he would plow the field with the oxen, he would, he would take an older, more mature oxen and he would attach a younger, less mature less learned oxen to the older one. And it would put this yoke around their neck for a couple of reasons. One, the yoke would dictate the work that needed to be done. Two, the yoke would dictate the pace at which the oxen worked. But three, being attached to the older, more mature, more learned oxen, the younger one would then learn the pace, the rhythm, and the work that was required whenever the yoke was attached. And so the invitation from Jesus is attach yourself to me and let me teach you, lead you, guide you, direct you, and watch this, let me set the pace for your life. Some of you are running too fast. But if you're attached to me, you can only run at the speed that I'll let you. Assume the right posture. Go to the right place. Follow his lead. Let me lead you. Let me guide you. Let me direct you. And Jesus says, the place that I'm going to take you is to rest for your souls. That a rested soul is possible and the burdens of life don't have to be so heavy. 
right posture plus right place plus right pace will lead you to a rested soul. Wanted to try to illustrate this for you. And obviously I've been wearing this backpack this entire time and I'm really tired of wearing it to be honest. Um, this illustration is very accurate. I wanna pass out right now. So, but the invitation from Jesus is, it isn't, hey, like all of the responsibility of being a dad just goes away if you follow me. It's not what he's saying. Hey, all the responsibility of being a mom and a wife just go away if you decide to follow me. No, 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 the responsibility is still there. Hey, the responsibility of being a human to show up, to wake up, to work, to be a responsible citizen, to invest in your community, to invest in your church, like those responsibilities don't go away. So the invitation from Jesus isn't like, hey, Jesus, catch, I'm just gonna coast. No, the responsibility is still there. The reality is I still am going to have to wake up when I get home at 6 to 6.30 every morning to screaming babies. But the invitation from Jesus is that while the responsibility is still there, the burden doesn't have to be so heavy. Because in him, I can find rest. In him, I can find peace. In him, I can find joy. In him, I can find life. In him, I realize that the responsibility to provide isn't on me because he's Jehovah Jireh, he's a provider, and he is enough. In him, I realize that the responsibility of who my kids are ultimately going to become aren't on me. All I can do is sow seeds and trust that the Lord will grow them. The responsibility to be the perfect dad isn't on me because he is a perfect heavenly father. And so in him, I can have rest for my soul. The responsibility doesn't go away, but y'all, the burden isn't nearly as heavy. And I can walk with him. And in him, I can have life and rest for my soul. And I just wonder how many of us this morning need to take the burdens of our life and place our hands in Jesus. That's the invitation today. I wanted to end our time um, this morning by doing something that's a little bit uncommon, maybe unfamiliar. Um, and so if you're not a Christian and you feel like this is weird, don't worry, I won't be here next week. Paul will, so you don't have to worry about it. Um, but I really do believe that the enemy hates a good father because he knows that the, a strong father leads to a strong household and a strong household leads to a strong church. And Jesus says the gates of hell can't prevail against this church. And so if he wants to destroy the church and he wants to separate us from Jesus, a great place for him to start is with the father. And so the dads in the room, we need your love, we need your support, but more than any of that, we need your prayer and we need to know that you're with us. And so I'm gonna ask right now that every dad in the room would stand wherever you are. And if you have family in the room, I'm gonna ask that you would stand and just lay a hand on your, on your dad. If you see a dad in the room who doesn't have family with him today, just put your hand on him. And uh, I'm gonna ask that we just take a minute and I'm gonna stretch you out of your comfort zone, but I'm gonna ask you to pray for your, for your dad. To pray for this man of, of God 
that even if he's not a man of God yet, he is called to be a man of God. Though the Lord is placed to lead your family, to lead your home, to raise you as a child. And so just take a minute to pray for them right now. Um, and then I'll pray and we'll, we'll wrap up our service time together. So do that now. Go ahead and pray. Father, I thank you for the privilege that you've given every man in this room that's standing up right now to bear the name that you bear, Father. I'm immediately reminded of my time in Israel as I heard little boys call out to their dad, Abba, 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 and then remembering how Jesus taught his disciples to pray, Abba, Father that your intimacy with us is the same of that as a child with his physical dad. You're that close, and so I thank you for that. For every man who's standing up right now who hasn't had that intimate relationship with their physical dad, their biological father, I pray, I pray, I pray, I pray, God, that they would find that intimacy with you, that you would make yourself so tangible and so real to them, that your word would guide them and direct them as they seek to lead their family, as they seek to lead their children. I pray that you would give them soft and tender hearts for their kids. That if there's any place that, that they know the relationship is broken, that they would be the first to go and apologize today. That if there's ways they know that they've settled and haven't dug in with their children, I pray that today they would, they would take the extra step, that they would go the extra mile. I pray for the dad who's weary and who's tired and burdened and who just needs rest. I pray that they would find their rest in you. For the dad in the room who feels the stress of running the business that he's created and that's taken him from his home, God, I pray that you would give him margin and that you would redefine his priorities today. And for every father in this room, God, I pray that they would look to you as their perfect heavenly father to be the model for how they love their spouse and how they lead their kids. God, we thank you for the responsibility that you've given us to be dads, for the honor that it is. But we thank you that we don't have to be perfect because you are, and so we trust you. And we give our lives to you, our families to you, and our children to you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Happy Father's Day to all the dads in the room. We love you, we're cheering you on, and we're for you. We'll see you back here Next week, uh, Paul will be leading us. Y'all have a great rest of the day.